Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Daybreak Crypto. You've got uh, me, Jake, and Kramer here today with a couple of stories for you. Uh, all right, Kramer, I think you got something for us first, right? Yep. So starting off, we've got Fortress Blockchain, which just recently raised $22.5 million in its initial seed round. Uh, Fortress was founded by Scott Purcell, who also founded the successful custody and infrastructure fintech company, Prime Trust. The round was led by Aon Capital, and the company mentioned in its release that they currently have 84 full-time managers and engineers on its staff, helping develop NFTs, crypto wallets, and API embeddables. So an interesting quote from Purcell stated that we look forward to helping Web3 innovators of all types with the financial, regulatory, and technological infrastructure they need to build out incredible businesses. And Fortress also mentioned in the aforementioned release that they are investing heavily on the regulatory side of the business, which led them to hiring Albert Forkner, who is formerly the banking commissioner and chairman of the Conference of State Bank Supervisors. Uh, and it's noteworthy to mention that Prime Trust, which Scott Purcell founded back in 2016, has raised money on seven, seven different occasions over the last six years to the tune of $176 million with the latest Series B gathering $107 million on its own. And Prime Trust is basically, on its website, it states exactly this, that through a full suit of APIs, we help financial institutions and fintech companies build seamlessly, launch quickly, and scale securely. So, I mean, this is definitely something that's needed to help, you know, bridge the gap between Web 2 and Web 3 and kind of make it easier for everybody that's not already deep into crypto, you know, kind of get their foot in the door and start messing around a little bit while being compliant and, you know, kind of knowing what's going on on all fronts. What were your uh, initial thoughts here, Jake? Well, there's a few big verticals or businesses. You talk about NFTs, wallets, APIs. What stuck out to me really was uh, the regulatory, uh, which I would guess would be some kind of advising. You, uh, let's see. Uh, they hired Albert Forkner, uh, formerly the banking commissioner and chairman of the Conference of State Bank Supervisors. I mean, we're going through this. Um, leads a little bit into my story later about just a lot of government action, a lot of um, trying to get the laws and regulations uh, reformatted or created uh, for crypto and having someone on staff that might actually have a good read on that um, can hopefully help their clients uh, or them navigate that environment a little better, just avoid maybe some, some really obvious hazards um, because there's a lot we don't know about how the laws and regs will shake out, but Maybe there's just some some really good precautions that you would you would take and uh, yeah anyone that's has someone on staff or is prepared to advise their clients on that would probably be a very useful thing I'd imagine but that's that's one that really stuck out yeah and it it was mentioned that you know Forkner's role is to lead Fortress toward actualizing its trust charter and help the firm develop a complete financial service stack which would revolve around the Web3 utilities that we listed, as well as crypto liquidity, asset custody, trustees, payments, and compliance. So, yeah, I mean, they've got a, they've got a wide net that they're looking to, looking to you know, cash in on. But the, the figure that really jumped out to me outside of the $22.5 raised was that they already have 84 full-time managers and developers on staff. I feel like this is one of the first wow. deals we've covered where it's been like, 
holy shit, they have a full team. Maybe not a full team, you know, in terms of what they're trying to accomplish in the future. But, I mean, that's easily, you know, five to ten times the size of team we see in these pre-seed and seed rounds, at least over the last couple of months. So, I don't know, mm-hmm. it's definitely interesting and it'll be cool to uh, see where their name pops up in the next coming years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess one other thing that stuck out was just they, they mentioned, um, you know, they're working on crypto wallets. And it's kind of unrelated, but I think we cover a lot of um, these deals that involve uh, a company trying to work on the wallets and a lot of work to be done. I'm curious what you think. Do you think that we get to the point where there's like one wallet that everyone uses? Or do you think that we just keep, we continue with multiple wallet options? You you want to hear what I think? Yeah, yeah. I think that... USDC is going to become the centralized bank coin, the CDBC. And it's automatically, it's basically going to be like your Apple wallet, but your Apple wallet is going to be able to also hold cryptocurrencies. Mm. They're going to make it as seamless and as easy as possible for the average person so that they don't think about all of the information they're taking from their transaction history. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the way I think about it, it's going to be like Web2 companies when like Facebook and Instagram and everybody came out and they were free and awesome and getting mo- millions and millions of active users, but nobody knew how much information they were taking from you because they didn't really understand any of that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I think that's going to happen. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I kept going back and forth. Like, is, is, does it make sense that there becomes like one wallet to rule them all that everyone uses or, or does it follow more of like kind of this, um, just this system where, you know, Venmo, some people use Venmo as their quote, their little wallet for payment stuff. And some people use PayPal and, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of a constant question I have whenever I see these, uh, crypto wallet, uh, companies. So. Well, yeah, and with the Venmo thing, like they just released a statement that if you get over six hundred dollars in incoming dollars, don't you have to report it to the IRS now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that, and then along with, I don't, I just don't think the idea of a common person using four different wallets for the four different cryptos they hold is really going to catch on. So, like a Cosmos, yeah. like a Kepler wallet, where it's the you know interconnectivity across the bridge, and you're able to you know, kind of go seamlessly from one coin to another, that might catch on, but they would need a lot of, a lot of help. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's exactly kind of the the concern I have is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you got to make this as convenient as possible for people to, to want to use and secure, but the convenience is kind of what we're talking about. Well, cool. Um, well, I had another story I want to make sure we get to. This is, uh, one that's been in the news, the, um, tornado cash, uh, story, for those who don't know, Tornado Cash is it's a mixer and it's on the Ethereum network. And really, what it is is that it allows Ethereum users to send Ether or other ERC20 tokens into the service to be mixed with other users' tokens before being sent back. Uh, so it ultimately obscures who sent what to who and when. The metaphor that I would compare is if you and 10 friends put $20 bills into a hat, shook it up, and then took them back out. Um, it's kind of like that only without serial numbers. So it kind of anonymizes the money after you take it out. Uh, while the treasury department has banned all Americans from using, uh, decentralized crypto mixing services, uh, like tornado cash, uh, 
basically all U.S. persons and entities are completely prohibited from interacting with Tornado Cash. Um, and uh, those who do may face criminal penalties. So uh, it's on the sanctions list. So all U.S. persons can't, can't mess with it. Um, so a big reason for this is that Tornado Cash has been a pretty big tool for hackers. The Lazarus Group, which is based out of North Korea, they're kind of the ones that, uh, well, they are the ones that pulled off the big Axie Infinity Ronin hack, took away like $625 million. Uh, you also have the Crypto.com hack, the Harmony Bridge hack, the Nomad Bridge hack. A lot of the people who ended up pulling these off have used Tornado Cash to effectively launder their money. So the U.S. government has basically blacklisted anyone under their authority, any U.S. person or entity from interacting with this. So right off the bat, I want to kind of get your thoughts on this story, Kramer. All right. So while you're kind of breaking that down, am I wrong to kind of like Eli five this down to if you don't know what a mixing service is, it's more or less what the mob used to use casinos for? Yeah. Yeah. More, yeah. more or less. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you're putting money in and you're getting good money out. It's laundering. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, that's really what it is. It's, now, it's I, all... I would say the the counter argument, because that has a very illicit, well, it's a very illicit thing to do is to launder money. And like I just got done explaining, a lot of people have used it for those illegal purposes. But um, I guess the flip side is that regular um, good faith actors that have Ethereum and want to use Ethereum, you know, uh, Ethereum is very public so everyone can yeah. see your transactions so this is uh one of the few ways that someone on the ether network can anonymize their transactions definitely so yeah i mean i definitely get that uh the biggest thing that caught my attention was to figure that something around 18 percent of the total amount of ether flowing through tornado cash in the last three or four months came <laughs> from the axie infinity hack which is like 168,000 ether so i mean they really, in my opinion, like they didn't have any other choice because it was being used so prevalently and noticeably. Like if they they were, you know, I'm sure they were trying to hide it as much as they can. But when you've got a whole government working against you, it's hard to obfuscate all of that information. Mm-hmm. So I, my my initial thoughts were their hands were tied, so they had to do this. But I don't think they really understand what they're doing. Because it's not like they they did it before with whatever that smaller mixing exchange was, but mm. I mean this one's decentralized Blender. and has a DAO, yeah, Blender IO or whatever. But this one's more decentralized and run by the DAO, so I don't know. I don't well, know. That's a, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it really can't be shut down. Uh, it was specifically designed to be unstoppable. Uh, so, because I, I mean, you know, it wouldn't make much sense they were thinking when they set this up that some third party would have control over it, or in this case, the government. Uh, so yeah, I mean, ultimately this is a decentralized protocol. There's, there's nothing, I mean, if they could shut it down, they'd just do that. But instead, you know, they said, Hey, we're going to just forbid people from interacting with this. And what that means, like it, it ultimately comes down to enforcement. If you can't shut down, like if you can't just go down and shut down a website, then you make this rule and then you have to enforce it. So, um, yeah, that's that's the next question is how is it going to be enforced? Because um, another little twist is that after this was announced, someone and, and I don't have all the details, but I know the rough 
the, basically the, the general story is that after this happened, some address started sending 0.1 ETH um, out of Tornado Cash and like into Doc's celebrity wallets. So I think Matt Damon and like Tom Brady, like these people that over the last year had been promoting uh, crypto and had very, you know, everyone knew which public ad, you know, public wallet address was theirs. Um, someone basically forced them to interact with Tornado Cash by sending them 0.1 ETH. And so the question is, is like, I mean, a lot of people were making jokes like, oh, they're felons now because they interacted with it again, even though it wasn't their choice. So enforcement becomes probably the next big question. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing is like how that's the main issue with trying to blacklist like a mixing service because like you said you can't really shut it down but yeah i mean brian armstrong the coinbase ceo jimmy fallon people dave Chappelle, a wallet created for donations to ukraine a wallet associated with clothing brand puma like you can't you have no power as a you know crypto user to decline receiving funds from a blacklisted address unless you block the specific wallet wallet address beforehand Mm -hmm. so like, I definitely expect to see a lot more of the black hat fuckery from the crypto front over the next couple of months and years as more laws and regulations kind of come forward. Because as shown by this and the guy dusting all of these famous Ether wallets with 0.1 Ethereum, like, they don't fully understand what they're doing. And there's going to be a lot more questions than answers for a long time, it seems. Yeah. Um, so it'll be, you know, it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be fun TV. Yeah, but in the meantime, there's still a you know there's still a lot of Ethereum users, genuine you know good faith Ethereum users that would like a way to um, not have to broadcast every single one of their transactions. I mean that that was a big I would call legitimate use for mixers. Um, and so the question is, is there if this is going to be shut down, are mixers just basically illegalized. And I saw this thing on Twitter that I thought presented maybe a nice compromise, which was that if maybe you set up a, a, a new mixer or you, whatever, you set up a mixer that has a dollar limit of, let's say, $500 or $1,000, just so that it becomes useful for day-to-day transactions for most people. But for someone trying to launder $600 million, uh, it's clearly not going to, you, you kind of, you know, crowd out anyone trying to use it to launder millions of dollars by putting a cap on the transaction limit. Um, I thought it was an interesting approach. I haven't thought too much more beyond it, but um, I just, I think you're going to have to come up with creative solutions if you want to find a, a way to anonymize transactions, but also create a space that is full of mostly legitimate actors. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a starting point to stop the grossly illicit transactions from happening. Um I would kind of worry about, you know, transactions per second and them getting spammed out. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm sure over the next couple of months, you know, everything, when one of the big boys falls, there's 10 or 20 small companies that fight for that market share. So it'll be cool to see what pops out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see where mixtures go from here. So, uh, well, that's probably time for us. Uh, Thanks for hopping on today, bud. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, We'll be back uh, very soon, probably tomorrow, with uh, some more Daybreak Crypto. So catch you later, bud. Later.